I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 Interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's a bounce? Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Perfect. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama, 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 mama. Hey, welcome back to the eighth episode of MWA. Hi, Kat. Hi, Dee. Wow, it's been, um, it's been a lot. Mm. It's been a busy time. How are you? How are the boys? Well, aside from it being a busy time, and obviously this will give us a proper time stamp as to when we're recording this episode, but it's also just been a fucked up time. Like, mm. um, I think that I think all women are actually just feeling really under siege and really Absolutely. quite exhausted and quite tired mm. uh, post what's been happening in the country the last two weeks. So mm. it's just actually, it's been interesting and a lot. And all the women who I've been speaking to in various different, like for, for different things, like friends or for for work or whatever, are all kind of, I think, like seeking safety. Yeah. And, and self-care. Yeah. And we're seeking safety and self-care. And we're also feeling incredibly helpless mm. because, you know, this happened... This happens every day in this country Mm. and every couple of years the media chooses, Mm. you know, um, there's an incident that is so horrific Mm. that the media takes and runs with or Mm. a a few of them. And Mm. certainly this is again, it's a repeat, it's a repetitive moment in this country Mm. and in the kind of global space in which we live. Mm. Although this is not what our um, conversation is about today um, Mm. with our guest, I feel like it's like such a pervasive mood. You know, certainly for me, also speaking with with moms, with colleagues, woman friends, there is a distinct sense of um, hopelessness, helplessness, um, deep despair. And and of course, you've written this beautiful article about raising boys, you know, Mm. and so pertinent also um, at this moment. Mm. So, yeah. So I think for for listeners, um, I don't know if we have any international listeners, but we've just had, we've just come off of the bat of a uh, a women's month, and every year women's month is an assault for women who identify as feminists in South Africa because one gender based violence does not stop during women's month. Um, it never stops. It it only feels like it escalates. Mm. Um, but two, uh, we've had some really horrific murders and rapes in the last two three weeks mm. um, that Dee is, is speaking about in terms of it being like kind of blasted in the, in the media and mm. it's just I think women are getting to a place where we're just so exhausted Absolutely. and um, I, I know Dee that you and I have had a bit of a conversation about this but I keep coming back to this idea of like this like self-care as a radical political act and how right. does one keep yourself intact living in a country mm. where essentially you are incarcerated to your home and even then your home may not be a safe place mm. so it's just yeah hugely overwhelming mm. it's a lot it is yeah. and i i actually um just to kind of latch on to what you've said this conference that i was at last week afems one of our keynote speakers patricia mcfadden mm. was saying looking after your body and looking after your mental health is a radical those are radical mm. feminist acts mm. don't for a second be bullied into thinking that self-care is selfish mm. right because in the kind of space in which we live um where we are actually under siege all the time sure. 
we have to learn, we have to find ways of um, not only looking after ourselves, but looking after our sisters and, and, and find spaces where we feel safe, you yeah. know, where we can just say, I feel yeah. unsafe, I feel scared. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of where we're at. But I mean, as, as you said, it's, it's got nothing to do with the guests that we have no, here absolutely. in the studio today, mm. or, 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 you know, with us today. But um, mm. yeah, just hugely... There's, there's, there's big stuff happening. There's big stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to kind of swim against the tide of what we have started <laughs> here um, and, um, and introduce our guest, uh, Lana Peterson, who is a birth doula, which is different to a postpartum doula. And um, Lana... Or, or grief doula. Or grief doula, nice, yes. Yeah. Today, we're just speaking with her and we're very grateful to have her with us in virtual format we lana is based in cape town and of course as you all know we are not based in cape town we are based in um, johannesburg and so yeah we're just very grateful for her time and to chat with her today wrong way around if we can put it that way because our previous guest was a postpartum doula and today um Partly because many of you have said you don't even understand what a normal doula does or a birth doula does. Um, we, well, actually not we, I tracked down and stalked uh, my doula for Tao's birth, <laughs> Lana Peterson, who is in Cape Town. And we are sitting with her on Zoom. Yeah, this kind of video virtual, call, yeah. virtual conversation. And yeah, welcome, Lana. We're very happy that you, um, like we were just saying now, um, before we started the episode, your schedule is probably the least fixed schedule really out of many many occupations I think it's probably one of the least fixed versions of mm. a schedule and so we're very grateful that yeah. um that you um have the have made a little bit of time for us today so Lana is her um her website homebirth.org.za says I'm a mum to two home birth daughters um she's worked in a primary healthcare clinic for nine years and then decided to pursue her passion as a doula she's also a registered birth attendant with the traditional doctors union she's also co-owner of birthworks um, and they rent out birthing equipment and stuff which i hope we'll get to in this episode because that speaks to home births so we started asking people what sort of questions they would have aside from i think maybe we can start with the first base question which is always what is a doula mm -hmm. and what is the difference between a doula and a midwife or a doula, mm -hmm. and even sometimes actually in a doctor, which was which was an interesting one that surprised me. Um, most people okay. actually don't know um, what the term doula is, or what it entails, or what it means, and what a doula is willing to do versus what a doula is not actually right. meant to do. Yeah, yeah I mean, just uh, it, the, the word in itself is of Greek um, origin, uh, just meaning woman servant. Lots of sort of loose translations of that, but essentially a doula would be non-medical support for the birthing person and their chosen partner, mm. whereas a midwife is a medically trained care provider. So mm -hmm. you get different types of midwives. You get obstetric nurse midwives, which work in the private sector, and they take care of women in labour, but the doctor comes in and gets called. Mm. And, and an obstetrician is a medical doctor who specialises in the pathology of pregnancy and birth. So their expertise actually lies in high-risk 
high risk or the mm. diseases of pregnancies. Yeah. Mm. And unfortunately in our private sector a lot of women make use of obstetricians, which I think has contributed to our astronomical cesarean section there right. because right. you know, if your expertise is sort of all the abnormalities, you're gonna see every pregnant person as, you know, something like there's something, something wrong with them. To go wrong. Mm. Yeah. So mm. and and sort of the, the basis of true midwifery is that you know birth pregnancy is a normal physiological process that a woman's body will go through. As a midwife, your job is to support that and intervene or advise and protect. You know when things aren't fitting the physiological mm. picture. Mm-hmm. But a doula essentially can support women in any birth setting. So whether that a birthing person has chosen to have a home birth with a midwife or have an elective cesarean in a hospital with an obstetrician. Mm. The doula's role is essentially an emotional one, um, offering physical comfort measures. And so that can really fit in well with any type of birth. The controversies come with, well, you know, what can and can't a doula do. And there are a lot more um, doula training bodies and governing bodies for doulas as the profession is sort of gaining momentum and with that is unfortunately coming well there are pros and cons it's good to have a certain regulation to make sure that birth is safe and that people are getting accurate information mm-hmm. um, but it's also yeah a lot of dealers are feeling frustrated by being pigeonholed and dictated to who they can and can't actually serve because for me you know not being medical care practitioners, for example, um, there are a lot of uh, governing bodies for dealers that don't allow dealers to support uh, women choosing unassisted birth. So, yeah, I mean, my stance is that I support anybody who has a very clear and thorough understanding of their own birth wishes and how to go about that. And it's not for me to decide mm-hmm. who deserves the doula or not, which mm. I feel is what some of these regulations are imposing but yeah i mean it's uh, with any profession being a doula or or choosing your doula is such a unique thing to each person and even you know what might resonate well for you might not for someone else Mm. and Mm. you've got to find the doula that's the right fit for you Mm. um so that's so yeah yeah. (laughs) that brings us to another question is how do you know when you have the right fit Mm. Is it kind of like one knows and has the same sort of chemistry with a friend or, mm. um, you know, like somebody who, you, as you say, if it's an emotional kind of support role that it, it would it kind of resonates like a sister mm. or a, a friend? As I said at the beginning, Lana was my doula for Tao's birth and Lana, Kath also had a doula. Well, she's had the same doula. She's had two boys, um, one as recent as May this year. Um, and she had the same doula and, you know, going in, even though, you know, I was like super extra and asked you lots of questions all the time. I didn't actually understand the... <sighs> how can I put it like the extreme value of your role until it was that day of the birth on the 12th of May I literally there was a moment where I thought oh my goodness thank god for Lana she's the only one with me (laughs) because I mean it was a very strange thing where I um well to the listeners I suppose just to say I I chose Lana and I think we'll get to stuff around choice and the selection of doulas that we have to choose from and certainly I think if you 
I think it is a privilege to be able to choose the kind of doula you want or to even choose a doula at mm-hmm. all. But I mean, certainly for me, I think so much of the penny dropped on that day of laboring. You know, that was mm-hmm. when I, you know, I was there, but I was also not there. And I, I realized the intense value of your presence, of your role there, that, you know, um, Sandy was there, but also it's a different experience. I imagine that if you were not there, it would have... So what, so what was the value? What was the value out of having Lana? Well, I mean, in the first instance, Lana and I had been seeing each other. I'd go to her house. She did like massages with me. We spoke through a whole range of things. So she knew my birth plan in this way that people speak about a birth plan as this fixed thing. But she also knew the kind of what the kinds of things I was prepared to do or not do. Or But I also think, Lana, and I don't know if I've actually ever said this to you because I think still to this day there's so much that I remember about that day or that evening but or that night but I there's so much that I've still not said to the people who were there and I find it like a completely it's a crazy thing because I you know you think about it and you don't think about it and then you think about it less and less and less and but it's this thing that is it's a memory that's yours and you feel a closeness to this thing and kind of protective of it in a way but what Lana gave me was the sense of Lana you were so gentle with me and you just kind of got a pulse for what I needed and then you would be there for that but a lot of people fear that a doula steps in to quote unquote replace a partner yeah, yeah, yeah. and that really wasn't again was not at all the experience I had and and that even in a, a very kind of rocky um, partnership and a, a strange moment for us as, a, as, as people who were bringing a child into the world there was not a moment where I thought okay I actually want my partner here but now Lana's here and then I hit this kind of wall where I wasn't dilating and you know Sandy had this very firm talk with me <laughs> and she said you know if you don't dilate further in this amount of time can't remember all the exact details now but she said you know then then unfortunately you know you're not going to uh, be able to deliver him naturally and Lana I still don't remember what it was you gave me but Lana was like yeah take this homeopathic <laughs> thing and there I was like half throwing up half you know awake half not Should awake <laughs> I was not there yet. Leave me alone. She's saying I was pooing Lana. Make her leave me alone. And then then, um, I didn't. I dilated. And, you know, so there was also this. There's something I think so special about a doula because it is someone who is familiar with birth, but also treats every birth. Clearly, I imagine you must treat every birth as a special thing, a special event for, for those people in that room. I mean, what was special about it? Many, many things. I don't know if Tao and I would have had the experience that we had had if you were not there, Lana. You know, lots of women ask, why do I need a doula? Right? Like who, like my partner will suffice type thing. So so, yeah, so I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear, like, your recollection of your birth. Yes. And, and things that you remember, because what I remember, actually, is driving to your house, because it was far. Yes. <laughs> I don't go that far. Anymore. I know. And yes, we do the massage, but actually, we just have a conversation, or I would hold a space for you where you could chat about what was going on in your relationship. 
relationship. Sure. And it was like those things matter in terms of your pregnancy and your birth about how you're feeling about yourself. And that is really, I mean, I suppose we do that as mothers as well when, mm. when we're raising children is to hold a space where whatever this transition is that you're going through, like it's not for me to say, well, you must do this and, you, and then you do that and then everything yes. will be sorted. Sure. It's like, okay, you know, what is it in your grasp that you can change or, or to look at it from a different perspective? And so that comes the time of your labor mm. that, you know, I feel like I know who, how, how you tick and that I can, again, hold that space for you and mm. whoever else you've supported. This is why I like sort of the, the relationship that's built through the pregnancy and getting to know uh, the woman and the partner. And I mean, if pregnancy is almost sh- too short a time to prepare for becoming a parent. It's way too um, short, yeah. You know, we start <laughs> way too late. Mm. And, and, you know, what a, the things we're focusing on are maybe just a bit misguided. I mean, there's so much emphasis on like having a nurse with the, or the tiny binny bobby thing. When, I mean, you both know now being on the other side of it, it's like, shit, I should have maybe prepared more for, you know, how I'd feel having my boundaries tested, <laughs> you know, things like that. So in the relationship that I spend with my clients in the pregnancy, it is about bringing those little things up, like setting up, like you, you mentioned, postpartum doulas. I mean, we fall horribly short with making sure women have adequate support mm. after they've had their babies mm. while they're at home when they have to return to work. That's, that's not my area of expertise at all. I take my hats off to the postpartum doulas. That's like, they shine in that. But I, yeah, I feel very um, ill-equipped to advise in such a long time <laughs> postpartum. So, mm, but yeah, yes. the pregnancy and the birth for me, I'm not there to fix anybody's relationship. Mm. But it certainly is a time for... I mean, it, it sounds cliche. And for some women, you know, pregnancy and the birth, it's not a big thing. It's not their biggest crowning achievement. But for others, it is fundamentally mm. so, even if they don't realize it afterwards, they realize, geez, this, this has been, you know, a standout moment in my life. And at the end of the day, again, you know, the, we, we're leaving child rearing to, to mothers, to fathers, and we want the whole experience to be good. Where's my towel? Meow. 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 Are you my towel or are you? Meow. <laughs> I remember growing up, mm. being surrounded by cousins and aunts and, and having to look after babies, sure. being happy before I was 10 years old and seeing everybody breastfeed. And I mean, the you know, the rate at which breastfeeding women experience breastfeeding difficulties is astronomical. I mean, I, yeah, it was never even an issue, but it's definitely because we live so isolated and because we all feel the social pressure to mm. be or perform in a certain way. It's impacted how we, how we experience pregnancy, how we mm. birth and, and how we parent. So, mm. yeah, I think having or the need for doulas has stemmed, I think, a little bit from that. From the lack of community. So, Lana, I wanted to know just something that you said now, which was, you know, you were speaking about postpartum and postpartum doulas, and you said you really take your hat off to them. For people who don't know, or for, uh, you know, prospective moms who might not know, how long do birth doulas kind of, for lack of a better, yeah, I suppose, walk with you, Mm. stick around, Mm. you know, and for how long? Because I mean, to the listeners, I mean, I reached out to Lana now. Tao is three 
over three, which I mean, many of you know, because we've spoken about Tao and Akani and Amu. And, and I mean, I reached out to Lana now. She remembers me. And, you know, it's not like I've just disappeared. I mean, I don't text her every day to help her, you know, ask her for help. <laughs> just, just people don't get ideas about what Bandulas do. But how long do you kind of provide or how long do you form part of that postpartum community for um, a, a new mom, particularly a first-time mom? It's different again for every doula. For me, sort of my standard is two postpartum visits at home mm. and that's up to the mother as in, you know, when she would like that to, to be. Okay. But there are certainly occasions where, like you say, like, I mean, I have... The other day, I bumped into a woman who I instantly recognized and she had immigrated. Mm. And I said, Hi, it's me, or Julian. She remembered me, and her child was 13. Oh, wow, um, that's so cool! Yeah. Uh. And it's incredible to for me it's, it's not so much that people are seeking advice or anything, they mm. just you know they they remember you fondly and and the little mm. part that's played in, in mm. the child's existence yeah. and I mean I get emails and photos and I certainly enjoy that and mm. I mean there are occasions where I do have to at night sort of limit my incoming messages and stuff because people do message up to I can imagine oh not man well, not me not um, me people not me <laughs> <laughs> But um, again, like there are dealers who they just enjoy sort of having extended postpartum. But I just find it challenging because mm. of being on call for birth. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of need to do, or I feel like I, you know, at a certain point I can't do mm. anymore. And of there course. are other people that, or care providers that are more skilled, are more sure. able to mm. um, be available. Mm. Mm. Do you take on a, a capped amount of uh, clients per month? I do. Okay. Um, so I'm, I was actually looking back at the uh, August month I've had four births, mm-hmm. and they all came within six days. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! And yeah, and, and by the time the sort of middle of August came, and no, no babies had been born yet, you know, you're just going to flat panic, and you're very unpleasant to live with for family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, my I'm getting old. <laughs> I <laughs> I hate being on call. I really, yeah, I hate like not having to, oh, I think I'll have a glass of, you know, I'll have three glasses of wine. Like, no, I can't actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so my comfort zone is like two to four and not even four is a bit much, but I look back yeah. at like my stats. And I think two years ago, August, I think I had eight births. I'm like, whoa, what? How did I do that? Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I, I do take on dealer clients. Yeah, going over my stats again, most of it is home births with midwives, which I absolutely love. Mm. I do do some private sector work, and I really would love to do more volunteer work at the closest MOU to me as a Nova partner. I just okay. love working there, but I don't get to do it as much as I'd like. I also do sort of backup or assistant work for one of the other private midwives so she called me for her birth mm. so even though I might have only sure. two clients I'm you know helping other people out so sure. I don't think I've ever not been on call right. the last time I was not on call when I had my youngest child who's mm. now nearly 11. Yeah mm. so can mm. you talk to us a little bit about home births I think mm-hmm. okay so there's all, I, I don't actually know quite what I'm asking I think that the first thing really for me is um, there's a reluctance as you 
you say, to kind of do things in a more seamless fashion. I'm thinking about your comments around growing up and you had changed a nappy, were around people who were breastfeeding. Breastfeeding wasn't necessarily had an issue. Had certainly held a baby. Had and held a baby. Yeah. Had, had been around yeah. a baby long enough to know, like, even just small little life hacks by the time you were in your teens, right? Mm-hmm. I feel as though, and I might be incorrect, but I'm, I'm also thinking about Atul Gawanda's book, Being Mortal, I think it's called, but it essentially speaks about how more and more we're moving to medicalization of death and birth. In so doing, you kind of you treat it as if it's not a part of life, Mm. right? And I think that it's interesting for me because my mother didn't have a a natural birth. So for me, there was very much like I had to do a huge amount of work to even bring myself around to a natural vaginal birth. She wanted to, and it just didn't happen for either of her of her births. And we I was born in Santon Clinic and I was whisked away to the, the neonatal ICU. I wasn't I wasn't allowed to be held by my mother for the first seven days of, of life. No there way. Was, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So and or she, I wasn't breastfed. So there was very much a sense for me around yeah. like my, my mother didn't breastfeed my, my brother either. So mm. very much a sense of like I don't know how this this is done, but it's supposed to be the most natural thing. And I'm not saying that it's natural for like women and women have the mother's instinct and kicks in but i am saying that in a supportive broader community Mm. you have the aunts you have the sisters you have the grandmother you have the mother who's done those things before in a way where it's like don't overthink it these are the things that this is the rhythm of life Mm. and it just feels as though more and more um and perhaps this is also again a class thing that it's just like such a it's become such an other event like women choosing elective Caesars, which is not an issue. Like people must do pro-choice, what do what feels right for them. But in a way also it's it's about uh, not wanting to give up control because that's where we're at. We're in a capitalist space. We're, we, and we, we believe, control everything. And we believe we can control everything. Mm. And there's certain things that you can't control actually. And most things you can't control around parenting. Mm. So I just think that like it's super interesting um, just even thinking then, then about... so. Post after having the conversation on natural birth, I had natural for my first. Then there was a conversation around the second, should we do a home birth? And that too was really interesting because I think that it takes on a completely different tone sure. um, and sets a completely different tone possibly in, mm. in terms of your relationships moving forward. So just maybe... You mean your relationship with your partner? With all relationships. So okay. the, like the family constellation. So mm. your child watching you birth you know, um, or your, your mother, like being, being present, uh, or your part, your, your, your partner's mother, or just the, also the location, the fact that you're at home and what's fascinating D sorry, I know mm. this is a bit of a rant, but like mm. just hearing you say you reached a point where there was like a, you were not di- dilating any further. That was mm. exactly the same for me. And I do also wonder, and I've heard that with home births, that's less likely to happen because you're, you're in your comfort, you're in your space. And I don't know if that's entirely true. So Maybe just if you could speak and advocate a little bit around why mm. you think home births are so important, why you, why that's where you really enjoy doing that kind of work. Mm. I mean, I, yes, I am a home birth advocate, but, you know, for the people that are exploring that option or, or want to know why someone would choose, um, because it's not right for everybody. Yeah. Um, but when we start having the conversation about, oh, yeah, no, I, I would also like a home birth, but, you know, whatever, it's too far from the hospital or... People's definition of risk and safety, when you have the conversation, because it's come up at the home birth gatherings very often, and you start to look at, okay, from a scientific point of view, from like hygiene, germs and all of that, technically it's better to have your baby at home because during your pregnancy you live at home 
So your body has been colonized with the germs in your home and mm. the baby is born in that environment, that's what it used to. It's less likely to have postpartum sepsis and, and, you know, mother and baby. Um, Whereas the hospital is, I mean, not your germs, lots of sick people. Mm. (laughs) So from that perspective, you know, the science shows that hunger is better. I mean, from what we're getting to know now about um, infant gut health or human gut Mm. health, natural birth, skin to skin, colostrum, breastfeeding, all those things are off to better start at home Mm. because hospitals are places of business at the end of the day, whether, you know, that business is the public or the private sector, there are protocols to follow. And so, I mean, there are still to this day private hospitals where if you have a cesarean, your baby goes to the nursery. No if, no and, no but. It goes to the nursery because the hospital does not want to be blamed for missing something. Which is, I mean, we know now that early separation from mom and baby is, is a huge thing for, for neonates. It's just, you know, up their stress levels and things like that. And breastfeeding rates then start off really poorly. But yeah, it's... I prefer to, I mean, I don't engage on any social platforms when sort of it comes up, but I'm very happy to have one-on-one or contain conversations around why or the what if or the risk, because the risk and the reward is going to be different to every single person you sure. can speak to. Absolutely. And what mm. you, you mentioned, Kathleen, about the, um, your, your social circle, your family circle, I mean, I have clients I've had clients who, for the whole pregnancy, told absolutely no one that they planned a home birth because it won't work. The stress of having to mm. explain yourself mm. to people who are important and purposes, well, meaning, but mm. it, it invites an element of planting seeds of doubt. And so mm. they just eliminated that by choosing mm. to keep it to themselves. I mean, I mean yes, we're living a, in a time where we we advertise everything we do from what we eat to mm. pregnancies, the whole food. Yeah. But birth doesn't work that way. I mean, birth essentially is a very private thing. Mm. I mean, we know from research that um, has been done the world over that for birth to be safe, the mother needs to feel safe, mm. needs to be um, surrounded by people she can trust and sometimes it's not a good idea to have your mother present because your mother's presence is too, I don't know. Triggering, triggering. Yeah. So sometimes even the the father of the baby or whoever it is and and those are all conversations that are had, you know, prenatally but essentially, I mean, and and this is is just a punt for this book called The Basic Needs of a Woman in Labour. When you look at the, the basic needs which are privacy, warmth, basically um, a situation that is conducive to sleep, you can control that better in a home environment. Mm. I mean, you know, at home, when you go and sleep at night, you don't leave your security gate open and all the lights Mm. on and no sleep with no blanket if you're Mm. naked or anything like Mm. that. No, you, you know, make sure everything is secure. You're familiar with the sounds in your neighborhood and in your house and you want to be naked, you know, once your space feels safe and you feel free and uninhibited mm, to do that, totally. you feel so much better if you have a nice, warm, loving body next to you. And in hospital, it is a bit trickier to do that. 
not impossible, but you have to kind of set it up in that way. Mm. And we were like, the, the hospital is not set up well for the basic needs of the person in labor. It's great for the staff working there for proficiency, you know. I mean, if you're working a 12-hour shift, you can't do that on the sleepy, soft, loving effect of oxytocin. No, you work on adrenaline. Fight mm. life loud noises, fast mm, pace, sure. you know, that's what keeps you going through your shift, whereas mm. that works great for the for the medical staff, but not for the not mother. Not at all for the mother. Mm, um, yeah. When you're attending a home birth, I mean, it's, and like you're doing the home birth, you, you know, you're looking around the space and, and the mother just feels out where she would be. It, it just makes more sense, you know, mm. there's food in her home that she likes. The, mm. the toilet that she is familiar with sitting on, mm. um, you know, her bedding, you know, it, it, it's her space. And she can invite in who she likes. Mm. Um, whereas at the hospital, you don't have that um, that privilege yeah. unless you bring your own advice in. Yeah. Example. Did you just roll him over? Hakani, gentle with your brother. I'm doing rolling rolls. Honey, gentle. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. I'm doing rolly rollers. I'm doing all rollies. Yes, but he doesn't like that. Look at his face. Amo, do you like that? Uh, Amo, do you like uh, that? I want to do rolly rollers. He doesn't like that, boy. He does. He he hits thunders. And then he's gonna hit thunders. Okay, roll him back. He doesn't like it. Roll, roll, roll. I know that um, like everything I've read about home births, well, the first question is, do you find that more moms of second babies go would go for a home birth? So if you've had a successful first and it's gone relatively okay mm-hmm. and you, so in a way, I guess, you know, maybe do you think that maybe there's a, a better trusting of your body in birth? And then my um, additional question is, I know for a lot of, uh, woman, one of the first things they say is, well, what if something goes wrong? And so my my question then is, and I don't like phrasing it this way, what if something goes wrong? Because it implies that like, you know, it implies some kind of medical intervention is necessary at all times in a birthing situation, which it is not. But if one were to get to the hospital, what are some of the things, for example, that a midwife would look out for, that you would look out for? Because you, I know you don't medically intervene, but you also, you're familiar. You're familiar with the process. I remember you distinctly telling Sandy to come now because something about the ring of fire. And I was like, that really does feel like a ring of fire in my logical brain <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> But I mean, you know what I mean? Like you, you said that mm-hmm. to Sandy. I heard oh. you saying something to Sandy. <laughs> no, I mean, why would you? You, you probably said that so many times. Again, it's sort of people not knowing how midwives work really. And mm. I mean, a midwife who attends home birth is has hair on his teeth. Has they are experts at what they do. They mm-hmm. really are incredibly incredible people, and they don't pitch up there with you know a stick of sage to burn. They <laughs> come with bootload full of medical equipment mm-hmm. for every possible scenario. Because you must remember, in most women in our country give birth at the midwife obstetric unit. So those are your um, state facilities that are only staffed by midwives. There are no doctors, no pediatricians, mm. no theatricians. Right. 
that are midwives there mm. um, with equipment. So the midwife carries similar equipment, <coughs> uh, the facilities. She'll have oxygen, she'll have medication to stem bleeding in the mother, just things like that. And I think what makes a difference in the good outcomes for home births in South Africa is that one-on-one relationship. So like you've experienced the, like you see your midwife monthly and then it becomes a bit more regular mm-hmm. towards the end. And, you know, she, when she fills your belly, she does so very lovingly mm-hmm. and getting to know that baby and you. So that when the time for labor comes, she knows, hmm, this is not familiar to what I've experienced in your pregnancy or you know, this doesn't sound right for this baby or this mother, and she'll be able to say to you, look, X, Y, and Z, Mm, I think maybe we shouldn't hang around at home, let's Mm. go into the hospital. And so she will, through the course of the pregnancy, you are required to have obstetric backup if you're on the medical aid Mm, um, mm. and the midwife has a relationship with an obstetrician. You would go and see that obstetrician and the hospital that they work in is then your access if there's an emergency. Mm. If you're not on medical aid, then they're going to open a a folder in the public sector and then if a transfer is needed, they would be referred to a level two facility. Um, So the midwife sets those wheels in motion and then see if I can use your situation as an example again, mm. when there were concerns about child's heartbeat, she, you know, called the backup obstetrician to right. get there and actually, if you, you know, you birth like super fast, um, which circumvented any need for the obstetrician. In fact, he came bailing up just as I was calling him to say, don't worry, we got this. <laughs> Um, That's funny. Mm. But yeah, that that mid. I mean, I've seen what midwives do, and if people only knew, they would. You know, more women would be having mm. midwife supported. Right. Agreed. Mm. Right. right. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my first question was: Do you think that more second-time moms who've been who've done the first rodeo natural and they're okay and baby's you know okay. baby's okay and you know do you think that they are more likely to choose a home birth? So that's an interesting question because I actually see women who've gone through their first pregnancies where they've gone with the flow and done what everybody else has maybe done. Mm. and not had the expected outcome, they're more likely to wow. go the home birth for the oh. second time down. Mm. Or, or at least midwife route. Because, I mean, the dispar- the difference between, and again, this is, a, this is just a, a generalization. There, there right. are fantastic obstetricians. They are who do advocate for women. But generally, obstetrics is a very patriarchal mm. system. Mm. So, um, it, you know, you are prescribed to what will happen to you mm. as opposed to you being a participant and leading your own process, which is where midwifery and doula care is, is that sort of the aim. Mm. You know, how do you, you know, asking you, how do you take charge of the situation? Mm. So a lot of the women walk away feeling, feeling like they've been duped and a lot of them are because it, it cannot be a coincidence that our, I mean, the last that that came out in 2010 was South Africa's private sector has a 70% mm. of their infection rate nationally. Mm. And there are hospitals in Cape Town with a 90% caesar mm. rate. I mm. mean, come on. Mm. It, but you know you what? You don't have to... So- Sorry, Lana, what really like uh, blows my mind, right, is in the whole Caesar conversation is that um, it's what you're saying. It's a very patriarchal space. They talk at you and they use jargon that you don't always understand. They do not like women who ask questions. They do not like women who are informed and who will say, actually, I read 
on whatever other source. And then I've heard like really hectic things around obstetricians saying, well, yeah, you're going to go, you go and do Google. If you're going to go do Google, then you may as well just Google your whole birth and have the birth yourself. It's, it's so fascinating for me because I know that with, with midwives and with doulas, there's more of a conversation. And actually, mm. you use very simple terminology because it's not like there's anything terribly complicated unless you have complications. And it is but a, 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 min- a minority of women who will. Totally. Um, but then the other thing is that so, so now you, you're in the space with this. This, this person who you're not seeing with regularity and they talk at you and they, they and, and then they, t- they towards the end they start putting in doubts this fear this fear mongering around thing. how you're potentially high risk for a number of different reasons and they'll use a whole range of terminology terminologies or a whole range of diagnosis potentially and then what really blows my mind is that then the person who then goes and has the c-section will then turn around and be deeply, deeply grateful to the obstetrician because in their mind, their lives and the life and the of baby's their baby's life, life has been mm. saved. Yeah. And no, I'm, that's true. And, that I'm not, is, yeah. and, I'm, and look, guys, for listeners who, who opt for a C-section, opt for a C-section. I, there's, it's neither here nor there for me. Mm. My issue is be informed and find healthcare practitioners in whatever realm you're comfortable in that are happy for you to be informed and are happy to have a conversation with you about your body and your choice. Absolutely. And I just find that obstetricians don't do that. Mm. So for me, and, and, and then, so we're sitting here with a 70% um, C-section rate and almost every single one of the women who, who have had that C-section fundamentally believe that they they were at risk. But also, not only do they believe they were at risk, they also believe, like you're saying, that they were in genuine danger. Also, that they absolutely intended to have a natural birth. And that for me is interesting because there's the assumption there that, uh, you know, when you fall pregnant and you find out and it's really early on and you're saying, you know, I'm going to give it a go. I really want to try, you know, because like I should. Like this Mm -hmm. thing that Kath was speaking about earlier where there's this assumption that generationally your body's supposed to do certain things and so you try and you, mm. you know. So there's, I've also heard a lot of that where women early on in pregnancy will say, no, no, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. And you see where the, the switch. switch happens. You yeah. see it. It's like around somewhere around week 32, yes. somewhere between week 32 <laughs> and week 36. Six, right? Starts popping off, popping off. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So, what, oh, so my question, and then, okay, so to come back to this, my question then, <laughs> to better inform people who are listening to this, what are some of like, what are some of the things that should be flags for the person to know that they potentially are at risk? What are some of the real things and how can they kind of treat, tri- triangulate that? So if they hear that from their obstetrician, can they potentially go to Lancet and get a get bloods done or speak to another person mm. or you know like yeah basically just just cross check whether or not oh. that is indeed the case look i mean you you cannot deny the the level of skill and expertise that an obstetrician has i mean they they do what is it like 14 years uh, seven years as a, as a doctor and then seven years in, in specialization specialty. so yeah. they have immense knowledge absolutely what it comes down to is this so maybe it's a, it's a feminist or a, just sort of a sign of the times where we oh how we've raised our girl children 
in that as a girl, you're supposed to respect authority. And particularly for, for our colored community, you know, what the doctor says mm. is right. And, <laughs> and our, I mean, globally, our, the messages that we send to young girls about our bodies and the, about, you know, this is what it should look like. And mm. the picture of the mother that just had the baby 12 hours ago with her hair all done and, you know, <laughs> in her white pants and high heel shoes and that what postpartum looks like. We, we've set ourselves up to fail, um, mm. or rather society has sold us the snake oil. And so when you go to somebody who is, is dismissive or disregards your question, we said, well, yeah, this, this is what I'm used to. Mm. I'll just go with it. Yeah. Gosh, this doctor has a really nice bedside manner. Never mind the fact that he's something that's completely inaccurate. Mm. Yeah. He's mm. nice. No, absolutely. Um, mm. Very nice. Like, <laughs> lots of lovely, lovely people, but you know, not for my birth. Yes, yes, yes. So I think it's about us waking up and, and realizing that not everybody who's polite is necessarily what we need for a particular situation. So it's not about knowing more than what your doctor or your midwife knows. And it, it's basically coming down with, like, like you said, Kathleen, you know, is this person, you know, what is the reaction when I say, I want to have this discussion or I'm questioning this? It's a huge thing. Like doctors are not used to having the authority to be challenged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, it's interesting, this authority thing, because I want to ask another question, which is, I mean, it's, a, it's really about male partners, right? And how many times I've heard a woman say, oh. you know... My husband really isn't comfortable with me having a doula because, you know, he wants to be my support. So I'm like, girl, let me tell you about my birth, girl. Let me tell you. Like, I'm literally like, let's sit down. Let's talk about how much of bodily fluid he has not engaged with before (laughs) that he's going to possibly have to, most likely have to Mm. engage with now. I mean, what do you, I'm sure you must engage with women who come to you and say, look, I'm interested, but my partner's really, um, what's the word, reluctant. Um, and so I guess my one question is, what, what do you say to some of those women? Because I think that the need is real and I think that it is a way, choosing to have a doula at a birth, whatever kind of birth, is, is a way of enacting your agency. Yes. In a world where, like we've been speaking about obstetricians now, a largely patriarchal kind of mindset within that space, very much like the doctor said, so this is authoritarian, mm. even more so for, for people of color right Mm -hmm. because just Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. structurally Mm -hmm. that's just how it's set up Mm -hmm. and so i guess my question is so what happens then and and also just to tally on to this um for me it was a huge deal i don't know if i've ever said this to you but it was a huge deal to me that you were not a white caregiver as part of my team i remember that yeah it it was it was really a big deal and and subsequently people have asked how do you find um, a doula of color, a mm. midwife of color? Mm. Uh, and even uh, being in Joburg, I recently was like checking things out and I was mm. like, yo, okay, That's this tough. is a lot, mm. you know? How, mm. how does one again begin mm. to navigate this kind of space potentially? So there, there's a lot there, Lana. Take, take what you want uh, in your and response. respond to what you yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Shame. <laughs> 
that dynamic with partners is, gosh, it's such a big thing. And particularly, like, around home birth, um, you know, my husband is not, you know, he's not feeling comfortable with, with the home birth. And, and I was like, well, why does the person who has the fear get to be the one to decide? Do you want to say that one again um, for, the, for the men who might be listening to the show? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> why does the- <laughs> Again, it, it, it is, I mean, I just had like a very, the first half of this year has been a real eye-opener for me. But it, it, again, I mean, this whole relationship that we have with men is very much like what the societal norm is, what the religious norm is, and all of that. Mm. I mean, there, there isn't a religion in this world that doesn't sort of put the man at the head of this household. And it's such a difficult one for me because I, you know, I'm such a fierce feminist store and so I have actually on occasion declined to work with mm. with women um, where the partners were in conflict with what they have wanted because again it's, it's an opportunity for the woman to find her voice in advocating for herself because mm. there's this misperception that oh, a doula will advocate for you in the hospital right. that's open to interpretation I mean I am not interested in having an argument with your care provider while you're in labor, you know, over the merits of X, Y, and Z. Mm. I, not my personality and certainly not why I be- became a doula. If working with me inspires you to find your voice and say, well, hang on, like, this doesn't feel right for me and I am wanting the support because of X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to, you know, find a way of, of shedding that. And it's, it's not to throw the husband or the partner to the side. I mean, that's often what we all say. Oh, he can just wait outside. Um, <laughs> that is all fine, but those two people need to have a relationship at the end of the day after yeah. I'm gone as a doula. And co-parent, which is a whole other terrain. Absolutely. Mm. So for me, it's, it's again... I mean, people are, like you said, be like, what is it that a doula do? I can, I can, I don't know what the heck I do <laughs> because I do such different things for each um, right. family that I work. At some labors, my job is to be the, the doula for the father because he needs the holding. The mother's fine. She just wants to know that she can labor well if mm. she knows that he's okay. Oh, and then wow. my job becomes to just take care of him. Mm. Huh? Hmm? Even in a porcupine. Porcupine? Yeah, and then when it bumps onto the porcupines, it's gonna boom. Try to go flat. The tire. Yeah, you know tire flat means a puncture. Yes. Do you know how to fix it? (laughs) I have been the doula for this particular family for um like the eldest child is like 13 years old I think wow. six siblings within this particular family but it was this couple's first baby and of course they were like they didn't really have a choice when i met with them i said look i know i've been recommended and, and that's all good and fine but i need to know that you what is it that you see mm. having a doula will add to to your experience and he's he just like he's listened to the other men and how they explain, like, when you're in that labor room, if you don't have your own midwife, you're kind of on your own. And, and if you've not experienced labor before, you just, you, you feel so incredibly um, helpless, particularly.
particularly as a male partner, mm. if, if nurturing mm. has not been something that you're familiar with. And just mm. having someone there to constantly reassure, to help set the tone, help set the pace even, like, that they don't exhaust themselves, is, you know, of such value. And so that was definitely mm. what happened with this lifesaver because they were able to labor on their own at home for a good 24 hours, just with me occasionally WhatsApping them. And then when it got a little bit dirty, I asked to come over and then we stayed home for another six hours. And he just said like, because when I got there, all the lights were on and they were like sort of in day clothing. And yeah, I just like, hmm, yeah, you know, it's like midnight, so maybe the lights should go off. I kicked off my shoes and Mm -hmm. I was just like, made myself like a little mattress on the floor and I was, everybody followed suit. So mm. I don't know, I'm telling anybody what to do. It's just like, I know this is going to take a while for, but let's all just sleep. And it's kind of making it feel like, oh, this was the idea <laughs> all, yeah. all along. But yeah, and then eventually going to the hospital and then to another long thing. So, I mean, I was very grateful to have this, this dad who was incredibly supportive, but it was lovely that each of us could step back when it felt too much and yeah I'm hoping they've had a good experience Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah for me the question about what does a dealer do I just I don't know different things so Lana for just also for for people who are listening if they are interviewing a a series of doulas to kind of Mm -hmm. land on one what would be some of the questions that you would recommend them asking Again, this is such a, a broad thing because if I think about who I am now, if I were to have another baby, what would be important to me is very different mm. to what I, you know, might have chosen the first time, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 17 years ago. I mean, I've had people choose a doula based on, you know, they didn't want somebody religious. They wanted an atheist doula or mm. a doula of color. You know, they didn't want somebody that was too familiar. Um, they wanted somebody who they could just sort of see as a professional, helping. So they didn't sort of want a friendship or a family type relationship. For some people, it's important that they do maybe have a lot of experience or experience with the, their particular care provider or birthing venue or experience, for example, with a VBAC or, uh, you know, sure. and that might not be of a consideration for someone else. So it sure. really is to put out, okay, what's important for me? What is a, what do I feel like a doula will add to my situation? Mm. And write those things down and then start the interview process. And I think it is good to get recommendations from friends and family, but meet the person for yourself and get mm. your own feelings. Because I've, I've been doula like for friends and then I sort of, you know, someone will phone me up and say, you were the doula for friends. And then I meet them and I'm like, Hmm. I, I can't work with this person. Mm. I, nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I can pick and choose who I would like to, to work with. But I just feel like it's, it's also good as a doula to know that I'm, I'm not going to be the right doula for everybody. Mm. Absolutely. I, mm. I can't. And to recognize, but I'm, I know a lot of doulas. And mm. I can, you know, so I get a lot of inquiries mm. about, you know, I would like a doula mm. or it's maybe someone who's chosen a care provider or a birthing venue that I choose not to work with, but mm. I know others that will mm. and that are okay. lovely in that environment because mm. you don't want mm. a doula that's in conflict with your care provider or 100%. birth venue. So, so it is also a skill as a doula that you need to recognize. What sort of role would you play for a C-section? Does yeah, it- yeah, there's definitely value in having a C-section, 
having a doula for a cesarean section. So whether it's, if it's, for example, an elective cesarean or whatever. Whatever reason, reason yeah. Um, so whether it's, it's truly sort of like a placenta previa where the mm. placenta is covering the cervix, I mean, that's, you know, that baby mm. needs to be born um, by cesarean. You know, often women are seeking or, or they realize at some point, hang on, this is still my birth and I'm having a child and it is still this incredibly, or for some people, it, it's, you know, birth is a spiritual, uh, whatever, an emotional aspect to it that your doctor or, you know, the, the people performing the, the surgery aren't going to honor, but your doula most certainly can. So mm. we have a lot yeah. of conversation around setting an intention around your child's birth that mm. is all the things that you might have wanted it to be if it mm. was a natural birth. So feeling welcome, feeling safe, mm. feeling um, connected. As a doula, you, you can't just be a doula and that you, you need to do lots of different things. So there are amazing doulas who are, for example, osteopaths or reflexologists or yoga teachers, things right. like that, that will implement their skill within their doula work. And with a cesarean birth, I mean, how we attend is we, you know, on the day you might come and do sort of a pre-birth massage because a lot of people are very anxious about having surgery. It's easy mm. to a lot more complication for even schedules and yes. um, birth. And then just like explaining the process to them as it's happening or, or prepping them beforehand or even little things like where they explain like what to expect next. I mean, women have said to me like the, the sound of sort of when they hit the uh, amniotic sac and the sound of suctioning, I prepare them for that because it's very um. scary to get to this. You, you're feeling people, you know, working on your body, but you, you can't see and so your imagination runs wild. So mm. again, it's about holding space for that person and then making sure that mother and that baby gets back together as soon as possible. And if mm. not, you know, her, her other partner um, mm. to do skin to skin and help facilitate all of that. Yeah, I mean, I spend, if I know someone's going to have an elective season, someday quite a long time afterwards, helping with the skin to skin, breastfeeding establishment, um, and then the same support at home mm. would for a natural birth. Right, um, right. And oftentimes, especially when it's an emergency, it's so chaotic, and uh, as a doula, your role really is to, to bring a sense of calm and communication, because often, you know, people are not, the, you know, they have a job to do, there's an emergency, so they don't have time to explain um, okay. And, and also to other their voice. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, I mean, I wanted a mom go in for an elective seizure and she was so nervous that the doctor had, she had a, a band and a form that she had signed to have a sterilization. And I said, like, are you sure? Like, she had meant that the doctor was going to be a sterile procedure. Uh. <laughs> that, I mean, did have ended up with a, a tube type. Oh, <laughs> um, oh shame. Whoa, okay. But it, it's still a birth at the end of the day. And right. I mean, a lot of what, what doulas have been doing over the course of however long doulas have been is also just changing the language around birth these days because obstetric language is very negative. And fear-based. I mean, we talk mm. about, yeah, and mm. fear-based. We talk about women having incompetent cervixes. Yeah, or, you know, when so... women aren't pushing effectively, we, we call it poor maternal effort. Wow. Um, or failure yeah, to or progress. Even... Whose failure? Mine? Exactly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And often 
that is just failure of the care provider yeah. to wait. <laughs> um, so the language around it is very negative. We speak about it in terms of pain when actually birth can be very sensual. You know, mm. contractions can mm. feel good. Or mm. just to plant those positive seeds. So there are lots mm. of, I mean, there's an international organization called the Birth Movement, as the name suggests, that is just having conversations about birth in a positive way. So, Lana, um, what's it called? Actually, the Positive Birth Movement. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, and Cape Town, we've got three groups. They meet once a month and generally they have a, an international theme each month and they're free to attend, which is also a good starting point. I think, Kathleen, you asked about, like, you know, what can you do when you start to ask your pregnancy journey? And, and you'll go to these meetings and, you know, women who've had babies or pregnant or whatever. And when we start having that community and the conversation, mm. we'll cotton on to when the wool is being pulled over our eyes and start mm. to ask the questions. Mm. And when we mm. look with other women and watch each other interact with babies and so on, mm. that, that's where it starts. I don't think we need... The, the thing with birth is keep it simple. Mm. Um, Keep it simple, and again, it's about honouring the mother. If, if you make a woman feel good, my goodness, step mm. out of the way because she'll, yeah, change the world. No, absolutely. I um, I know we're kind of we're running out of time, but I just mm. wanted to say, I just wanted to share. I don't know, maybe I've said this before, but you know that moment where I I I had dilated and I was pushing, and it like it all happened so fast, and mm. I remember like both you and Sandy were like. Yay! You know, go you. And I remember like that feeling, like there were so many feelings and you took that really beautiful photo of Tao and I where I'm holding him like that's that against such a me. gorgeous photo. And like whenever I look I at that, you don't think, hey, no, you must have. No. I absolutely will. I have it framed in my study because the moment when I look at it, I like, I remember all of those things that I felt, but I also... I so distinctly remember you and Sandy being so like chuffed that like he had come out so fast, you know, (laughs) like I'd pushed so fast and like just that feeling like it had restored so much confidence for me in my body, like both after labor, but also because of like the stuff that I'd been through before with the Hodgkin's lymphoma and stuff. So Mm. um, I guess I just want to say like if one has a if you have a beautiful birth if you birth your child your child or your children in ways that you know it doesn't matter how that happens if it's like if it feels filled with integrity and love and genuine it can't be wrong but just to say like so much of that was actually really thanks to you you know and I think that this is why for both Kath and I we're just so we're such big advocates for doulas you know because we've both had such incredibly beautiful powerful experiences from having had doulas so just thank you yeah thank you so much for your time hey. Anna. It has, yeah, yeah it's it's been hugely helpful to to have a conversation and yeah. I, yeah i think especially the stuff around home births is something mm. that d and i have not touched on actually with mwa so it's just so valuable to to start thinking through and and having that conversation absolutely thank you cool. thank, thank you. you hey i'm kathleen and I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 mama. Attitude. The same way I immersed myself in my career. Yeah. You've now immersed yourself in motherhood. I've now immersed myself in motherhood. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. 
Mom the Weird, yeah. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and form. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. mama. On the next episode of MWA, we chat to the funny and witty Alexandra Fitzgerald, a human rights lawyer and a first-time mommy-to-be. This is a two-part episode that we have planned, the first being while she is pregnant, discussing all the things that she's had to kind of encounter during her pregnancy and what she thinks that she will encounter. We'll then circle back to her about four or five months into her new Bubba's life and have a conversation around what was real, what wasn't real, out of her anticipations and her expectations, as well as the kinds of things that she's been reveling in and enjoying. I am pretty pregnant at this stage. <laughs> Ladies at work have, have been telling me stories like, oh, you know, so-and-so from the IT department, she actually went into labor at work. Like, Please let that not happen to me. Like you reach like a level of like pregnancy pettiness, right? So I'm like- That's a nice term. That's super interesting, yeah. I'm naturally petty. <laughs> Just generally, just generally, <laughs> but I think that like definitely like being pregnant is like you just don't care. You're like <laughs> yeah. look at this fragile ego. What fragile ego are you referring to, yeah. Alex? <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so a placenta. I'm like a big placenta fan. Um, <laughs> I think I'm gonna be like here. Hope my baby so can hold my placenta, <laughs> and then I'm gonna be like I made this. <laughs> I think that this is a fun episode, a really, really enlightening one in a way where you start to remember and think about all the things that you were worried about or paranoid about um, when you were pregnant that actually didn't come to life and all the things that you could never, ever, ever have anticipated. It's a hugely um, humorous episode, so do tune in. Um, It's a lot of fun. And remember, please, to share, subscribe and rate the podcast if you guys are liking what you're hearing.